late spring 2020, and with Great Falls, Montana as my destination, we're off and running into episode 59. Well into the journey, it was 46 years ago this past week that I enlisted in the United States Air Force and started this journey to where we are on our way to command. And whoever would have thought of that 46 years ago? Well, here we are. What a difference. Great Falls, Montana is the third largest city in the state. And before you get too excited, at the time, there were just under 60,000 people in this city. And while it is primary host to Malmstrom Air Force Base, there is also a refinery just on the outskirts of the city and not too far from the base. As in previous parts of the journey, I'm going to give you a brief lay of the land for Montana, Great Falls, and Malmstrom Air Force Base. The background will provide a perspective for the stories as we move through the next two years that go by really fast, but are filled with a very busy and eventful period. First, you likely know that Montana is a very large state. It's fourth in area right behind California. It's a mecca for hunting, fishing, and camping. Outdoorsmen just love being assigned there. To the north, of course, is Canada. And Calgary, a pretty large city, is just about five hours north. The two other larger cities in Montana are Billings and Missoula. They are both about three hours apart, plus or minus, from Great Falls, and folks go to them often on their downtime since they're larger than Great Falls. A lot of the members, generally more younger base members, go to Lethbridge, which is just across the border in Canada, where the drinking age is just 19. I'm sure you see where that's going. Great Falls is a fairly nice city, although I kind of call it a big town coming from Washington, D.C. and Austin, Texas. The first thing that you notice is how the city is laid out on a fairly rectangular grid. And that brings us to the nomenclature for the roads. The avenues go east and west, and the streets go north and south. That means, for example, that you have 1st Avenue North, 1st Avenue South, 1st Street North, and 1st Street South. Got it? I don't think I do, and I live there. It's kind of crazy. Let's think of names like with words instead of just numbers. I did get some bad and good news before arriving. For my non-military listeners, on military bases, key personnel generally commanders and others that have unique jobs, are housed on base. Since services is a 24-7 operation, my predecessor was, in fact, in base housing. And, alas, since I was not married, they did not allow me to live in base housing. Yeah, let that sink in. Anyway, that meant I had to find a place off base. You may be wondering, so why would you live on base? And you'll see why and the reasoning soon. Malmstrom is a very large base and area and a very important national security mission. It's one of the bases in the Air Force with strategic missiles and home to the 341st Missile Wing. 
In addition to the base proper, missile fields are located far and wide across the state. This made the news when there were those balloons flying over the northern tier of the United States not too long ago. This makes for a number of unique scenarios for this particular mission. As it applies to the services mission, my squadron had a very typical organization, and I'll go to that in a bit. In addition, each missile squadron had their own services food service personnel assigned at the missile locations. This was to take care of the feeding of personnel because they went out for a period of time and rotated their crews. And while the personnel were assigned to the operational units, there was occasional tieback to the services squadron, especially in the areas of upgrade training, albeit that was a fairly minor requirement for our unit. Like every base, there's a headquarters building and each squadron has their own real estate on the base. The services headquarters was located just off the old flight line, and so we had plenty of parking, and that was nice, and it was a relatively short walk to the headquarters building for meetings and so forth. As I recall, it was maybe a five-minute, seven-minute walk. Our facilities spread out across the base were typical of a services unit, with the exception of a golf course. We had a child care center, youth center, outdoor recreation that was very popular, an old theater, bowling center, fitness center, dining facility, lodging, arts and crafts, pools, and so forth. Since I was an ROTC for three years, I did have to quickly reacquaint myself with services, and it didn't take that long, but I certainly had to get that mindset. And remember, I hadn't been assigned to base level for more than a decade. To support all these facilities, there was an administrative office, financial office, personnel office for the NAF personnel, and a readiness office that had responsibility for both mortuary affairs and the wartime mission training. Organizationally, my deputy director, Sherm Jackson, who was a civilian, I had four flight chiefs and a large number of civilian employees, most of which were non-appropriate fund employees. My other support officers were marketing and a training office. As an organization with the numbers of local NAF employees, we were one of the largest employers in Great Falls. So I was also kind of known outside of the base proper, and I did radio, TV, and newsprint um, interviews while I was there. Because of the location, in some ways, we had some very long-term employees, and that's a major advantage for an organization, both knowing the history as well as having connections across the base and in the community. I'm sure you've been in federal buildings where there's a photograph of the President of the United States, sometimes the Vice President, the Cabinet member, and the leader of the organization that oversees that particular operation. Well, across services organization, there's a photo of the wing and group commander, along with a photo of the services squadron commander. It's kind of cool, and at the same time, everyone on base knows who you are. There are advantages and disadvantages with that. In terms of services squadrons across the Air Force, this was one of smaller size, and therefore often manned with a major. Because of the mission and the size of some of the other squadrons and military strength, most of the other commanders on the base were lieutenant colonels, 
or majors with a line number for lieutenant colonel. While colleagues from one standpoint as a commander, and not colleagues from another because you're not the same rank, I will add that most, yes, most, squadron commanders didn't make rank an issue. The services squadron is assigned under the group commander that is a full colonel or 06, and the group included civil engineering, security forces, personnel, communications, and services. Each of these are markedly larger than services in military strength, and all of them provide support across the entire base, with services providing support beyond the military assigned because services supports families and retirees in the local area, as both are entitled to use services programs and activities. Now that you know that I'm not assigned on base, I have to find a place to live, and in pretty short order. And with my shiny new car, I wanted a garage. Plus, again, it's Montana, and it gets very cold. To quote Sheldon Cooper, fun fact, Great Falls, Montana is in a peculiar location where there's a fair amount of snow on one day with temperatures well below freezing, and the next day or so, it can be 40 degrees because of the Chinook winds that come up over the Rocky Mountains. That also means that aside from the two main roads, Great Falls does not plow the side roads because the snow is going to melt within a day. Now that can be tricky, and it was. Don't ask me how the Chinook winds work. I still don't really understand it. It's science. But they do work. Since I grew up in northern New York State, I was aware that plug-in heaters for your car is somewhat typical, and some people in Montana did have that. And I wasn't sure if I really wanted to do that to my car. And I don't recall exactly how it came about so quickly. I found a nice duplex on 16th Street North very quickly. And so, as I recall, it's less than five miles to the base with a detached garage behind the building. Jumping ahead a little, in winter, it gets very cold, well below zero. And I thought the garage would be more than enough to avoid getting that block heater on my car. To check, I put a cup of water in the garage, and it would be fully frozen the next morning. So, being ingenious and using my old farm knowledge... I put a heat lamp in the garage socket that was right above the hood of the car, like when you keep young chicks nice and warm, and decided to add a milk box heater in the corner. That kept the garage from freezing, and the car always started up right away. Now, safety fans, don't worry. The milk box heater had a safety off switch in case it got tipped over. It was a pretty nice home, and it had a finished basement that was huge, where I could store a large number of boxes and the furniture that I kept from my time in Austin. Most of it wasn't even touched the whole time I was in Great Falls. There's a story about that. If you don't use something for two years, maybe you don't need it. We'll get to that later. Settling in, it was time to get to work. From my assignment at the University of Texas, I received my fifth Meritorious Service Medal for that tour. And while it wasn't my first, it was meaningful because of the fondness of the assignment. 
And as you know, it is also to help jumpstart your time at your new assignment. I'm one of the worst for remembering names and faces, and I'm being introduced to everyone in my squadron, and I'm, I'm really trying to digest them as fast as I can. Luckily, the military had name tags, so that helps a lot. I had a highly respected deputy, and the commander of the combat support flight was First Lieutenant Jay Thomas. And so, because he was the only military officer besides me in the unit at the time, he was also the next in line in my absence. As with any squadron, we had a first sergeant, who was the senior enlisted member who has leadership responsibility, provides second-line advice and mentoring for the enlisted corps, and advises the commander on enlisted and other issues. The first sergeant also attends regular meetings with other first sergeants on the base, and that provides a very useful loop back on issues affecting the entire installation. Within a day or so, there is a change of command ceremony. This is the public ceremony with a squadron guide on, or flag, is transferred from the outgoing squadron commander to the incoming commander. The officiating official is typically the next commander in the chain, and so in this case, the group commander. After the transfer of command, the new commander is expected to give a speech with a focus to the members of the squadron on his or her vision, and to share just a few points that will be the guiding principles of leadership. It's the first time that everyone will see the new commander and get a quick sense of that all-important first impression. Oh, and there's cookies and punch afterwards, so lots of people attend. With command in the Air Force, there is a command badge that is worn above the nameplate when in command and below the nameplate for officers who have held command. What I did learn quickly is that with a relatively small base, the informal lines of communication were fast and furious, as were the informal lines of rumor and gossip. Learning how the, those lines flowed, especially the rumors and gossip lines, was kind of important. And it was, in a way, living off base an advantage. My predecessor ran a very effective unit. When the deputy is a civilian, because commanders are only in there for two years, the continuity is one of the primary responsibilities of the deputy, and Sherm did a great job. There was a fairly substantial facility improvement program, and with his reputation, there was a lot of traffic in and out of the building to the deputy office. And interestingly, of course, because you're the commander, there are two entrances to the building, a left side and a right side. And a lot of people would enter on the side where the commander's office wasn't, which is understandable. In my first conversation with the deputy I told him that he was the one person that could always come into my office, shut the door, and tell me that I'm going in the wrong direction and making a bad decision. I wanted him to be frank. Sherm was always respectful and professional, and there were two times that he did just that. Both times, he was completely right, and I needed to navigate a shift. Two years in command is not a long time. You have to hit the ground running or you won't have time to make any meaningful shifts in your organization. I relied on the other squadron commanders a great deal in the group to help me navigate 
the senior leaders on the base. I got along quite well with them, and especially the civil engineering and security forces commanders. The security forces commander became a mentor during my tenure. One of my favorite parts of the organization was the marketing section. Their office was in the main building and just around the corner from mine. Initially, there were two employees and incredibly fun to work with, with great senses of humor. Over time, we hired a third, a young man who was new to the military environment and fit in very well. And he was a very good sport, as you'll see as we go along the journey. We had a lot of fun planning the marketing of the programs, and they had tremendous creativity with publicizing our programs across the base and to all of our customers. If you remember two assignments ago, that the Air Force was forced by Congress, as well as all the services, to change the funding into the three categories, A, B, and C, with business categories being C. And most clubs had to be fully funded with non-appropriate funds. Bases located in areas like ours that were considered remote and isolated did get partial support for the club and the bowling center and more were treated more like a Category B activity. The club was a consolidated club, meaning we didn't have a separate officer and NCO club. In lots of ways, it was a hub of activity for many of the special events that we had on the base. The wing, group, and squadron-level events helped support the club, and the wing commander was a very strong supporter of the club as well. Friday nights and Sunday brunches were very busy times, and the leadership would almost always be there, and so... There were many others there as well. You know how it goes. You gotta be seen. And you've gotta be seen supporting the club. Not too long after I arrived, one of the first projects that was getting ready to come to fruition was a car wash. The deputy was an expert at planning and improving facilities. Our recreation camp was such an example. Recreation camps are like civilian KOA campsites where people can reserve an RV space or set up camping as they travel through the Great Northwest. Many are barely an area with a few outlets and bare areas and a gravel path for a road. Ours, because of the location, was very busy and frankly a model for others. There was a full-time on-site manager with very modern improvements being made all the time. There was a little store, and the pads for the RVs were concrete, beautiful signage, and so forth. We had a lot of regulars who would come through and stay for several weeks during during the summer months. As the facility improvement cycle works, the car wash was approved years ago and was finally coming to fruition. When I first learned of it, I was a bit surprised. It would have to make money. And I was thinking it's only going to be open for a few months because it's so cold in Montana. Initially, it was a one-stall structure with an expansion plan for a second stall. And the automatic car wash part was a prefab thing that went in super quick. And because Sherm was so ahead of everything, the floor was actually going to be heated. Ah... That does make sense. To make a long story short, it paid for itself in months. 
It was open almost all year round with the heated underflooring, and because of the Chinook winds, despite very cold days, those warmer days come quickly and the car wash would be open. I remember that I decided to wash my car what seemed like a fairly warm day, and by the time I finished spraying the car, the doors were frozen. Now, they weren't frozen to the point that I couldn't open the doors. I meant that they were, the water had froze on the doors, and it was noticeably, so it was obviously pretty cold out. I do remember that Sherm would say, we're making a fortune, a quarter at a time. And he was right. There were several things that Sherm was very good at, and the two most noted were that he knew how to get almost anything done on that base. And he also knew how to keep costs in line across the entire organization. I really didn't have to worry too much about facilities' financial status, and to be sure, he always had my back. I had a great boss as well. Well, two great bosses during my tenure. Colonel Graham was the group commander on my arrival, and Colonel Kistler was the group commander by the time I left Malmstrom. The deputy group commander though, was a standout. He was outstanding. Lieutenant Colonel Stibe was the deputy group commander, and that's a tough job. You're not in charge of almost anything. You're the gatekeeper seeing everything before the commander sees it. And your job is not to have your own voice, but to be the voice of the commander. I've seen many deputies who take their role as being the commander And some are frustrated that they're not in charge of the organization, and it comes through pretty obviously. Colonel Stibe was the best deputy commander I've seen in my entire career. He was extremely supportive and provided help rather than hindrance, as some do. He was also a civil engineer, so he was well aware of the services organization having tenure before the merger when services and engineering were very closely aligned. The plus, he never thought that he was the services commander. And even though he had a lot of knowledge about the organization, it was great working with him because we could talk about things in a very collegial way. Not too long after I arrived, I got a unique call. There was a former cadet who planned to be a pilot, and that just wasn't going to come to fruition. It wasn't what he expected. When this happens, the Air Force places the officer in a non-operational career field, and sometimes they take input from the officer as to what they want to do, and he called me for advice. I suggested services, and I might be able to work with an assignment to Malmstrom because it was about this time that my squadron was being looked at as the unit to bring in new services officers for their initial indoctrination to the career field. The idea was that they would come in for three, six, maybe even nine months and then move on to a more permanent station. And we had several lieutenants that came through. As it would happen, Lieutenant Hernandez did come to Malmstrom. Getting extra officers isn't easy and it was a real plus for our organization. In the military, heraldry is important. I'm sure you've seen it on unit patches, whether on uniforms in movies, on the news, or with experience at military bases. Almost every squadron at Malmstrom had a patch that was worn on the utility uniform or battle dress uniform, along with the wing patch, like is typical at every base. Well, almost every squadron 
except one. Services did not have a patch. The sense of belonging is enhanced with a symbol to be proud of. Since I had an extra officer, I tasked Lieutenant Hernandez to take this project on with a very short delivery time frame. Now, I had no idea how the process worked, so he had that experience of learning what was involved to get it approved. So, first step is, what are we going to submit for approval? What's the patch going to look like? It happened like this, as I recall. There were several of us at the club, and we started drawing on a napkin. Since I collected eagles, we were in Montana, and eagle on the patch seemed like a good idea. We toyed with different ways to represent Montana and the squatter mission. It got narrowed down to having mountains and evergreen trees in the background, and we added a laurel sprig and a lightning bolt to represent the military mission. Simple and why not? The marketing team took those ideas, drew up a couple of options, and we had the squatter members vote. The winner was awesome, and I'm going to post a photo in this week's photo. I'm still very proud of it. It was the most unique patch on the base, and I would say in the Air Force, because it was very colorful and, in my view, picturesque. Now, how do we get this thing approved? It's not the easiest of processes as we learn. Next week, we'll see what hoops we have to jump through. Remember that while on the air staff, I brought about the career pathing across all the categories of personnel that services has and was keenly aware of the breadth of our employees' training needs. That's slightly different from others. Our training officer was so excited that I was there because I had such a unique view of training. Tied to this, when we had new employees, and we had 25 to 40 new employees a month due to the type of activities that we had and the turnover of housekeepers and food service employees to recreation aides, supervisors, and new airmen. I wanted to ensure that we had a program in place to give them a focus on our mission that we served. How do we do that? Think back to another time when I also focused on how do you grow teamwork. And next week, I'll share how this comes about. I think you'll be surprised. Well, this week is a little boring, I know, because that foundation has to be laid of the location and organizations and those first experiences of arriving to a new base. Next week, we'll start with some exciting things that happen in this very amazing organization, and you won't want to miss it. I hope you have a great week. Come back next Thursday and have courage and be kind. Kona says meow.